purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Sandra Katz. Katz is the author of Wild Fermentation, The Flavor, Nutrition, and Craft of Live Culture Foods, and the book The Revolution Will Not Be Microwaved, Inside America's Underground Food Movements. Sandra Katz has taught hundreds of fermentation workshops around the United States and is here to talk about his new book, The Art of Fermentation, an in-depth exploration of essential concepts and processes from around the world. Stay tuned and learn why Michael Pollan in the foreword calls the act of making fermented food a way of engaging several worlds at once, the world of bacteria and fungi, the community you live in, and the industrial food system that is undermining the health of our bodies and the land. If you'd like to join the conversation today on Health Watch, the number is 503-231-8187. Welcome back to Health Watch, Sandra Katz. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. So tell us what prompted you to write The Art of Fermentation and, and how it's different than your, your first book, Wild Fermentation. Well, I, I would say that the biggest difference is that The Art of Fermentation is about four times longer than Wild Fermentation and uh, written after 10 more years of experience uh, uh, fermenting. And in that 10 years, I also uh, just had the opportunity uh, you know, to talk to many, many people and hear their stories of their grandparents' fermentation practices and ferments from the old country and uh, you know, hear about the obstacles that people encountered in their fermentation experiments and that caused me to uh, do a lot of reading and research um, uh, you know really learning more about you know what's going on in there um, so I just felt like it was um, uh, I, I had more information to share and it was uh, you know time for me to share uh, a more in-depth exploration of the topic I, I would guess Sandra that when you're introducing fermentation to people who haven't uh, been exposed to it before that there's a, there's probably a lot of people who express fear around the process of aging food without refrigeration, that there may be some some dangers involved. So what's really interesting when you read the art of fermentation is to learn that this is an art that has actually been going on um, since the beginning of humanity. Yeah, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I mean, these are you know just ancient ancient practices. They evolved as survival practices. They evolved as um, you know, strategies for for safety um, and and preservation, and it's really just because uh, you know we've all grown up in in this context that I describe as the war on bacteria, uh, this uh, you know uh, ideology that you know, bacteria are dangerous. Um, uh, you know, our lives would somehow be better if we could eradicate all bacteria. And so against this backdrop, the idea of uh, intentionally cultivating bacteria um, in the kitchen seems kind of scary to many people. You know, how do I know that I'm going to get the right bacteria growing? Uh, you know, how can I be sure that, you know, I'm not going to accidentally make someone sick or kill someone? And, um, and you mentioned that it, it actually is a process that humans use to make food uh, safer. Is it true that we would find that if you fermented a food, it would be safer than just leaving it in its raw form? Well, I, I mean, you can't necessarily generalize about every kind of food, but, uh, you know, let's say in the realm of, um, you know, fermenting raw plant material, your, your vegetable ferments, 
Um, you know, there never has been a single case of food poisoning reported in the United States from fermented vegetables. Um, you can't say that about raw vegetables. We hear every year about these, uh, you know, uh, food poisoning outbreaks uh, traced to you know, spinach, lettuce, tomatoes, almonds, uh, um, um, apples, you know, it's sort of one thing after another. And so, you know, we are all well aware that, that it, is, it is possible and it happens periodically that um, usually it's due to runoff from manure from a factory farm, uh, you know, running downhill and, 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 and getting on the vegetables uh, or, or the fruits. So, you know, this is plausible and it happens. But, you know, even if we took vegetables that had been um, exposed to some sort of incidental contamination like this, uh, the indigenous lactic acid bacteria that is present on all raw plant material would easily dominate once you create the conditions to encourage it. And then, and then as those lactic acid bacteria create an acidic environment, that acidity destroys the contaminants. Um, so, you know, at least in this case of, 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 of fermenting, you know, raw plant material, fermentation, you know, certainly can make it safer. Once you get in the realm of meat and fish, um, well, there's just a lot more, um, uh, you know, sort of parameters for safety. There's more that you need to understand. And, you know, what all fermentation processes amount to, you know, because there are, there are a multitude of different types of organisms, you know, present on all of the products of agriculture, on all living things. Um, uh, so, 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 you know, fermentation processes really amount to subtle manipulations of environmental conditions to encourage the growth of certain types of organisms organisms while simultaneously discouraging the growth of other types of organisms. Well, it's interesting with, with the advent of, uh, of refrigeration, we sort of lost the knowledge that a lot of the foods that we eat now are actually the result of our attempts, earlier attempts to try to um, preserve foods, like eating cheese is a way, or making cheese is a way to preserve milk so that it doesn't go bad. How do we know when, when uh, a food is fermented versus being spoiled? Uh, well, I mean, this is this is really a, a, a critical question. You know, unfortunately, there's no, um, you know, there, there, there's no really sharp line dividing the two, which is not to say that you should just begin experimenting and eating any food that you would previously, you know, have considered spoiled or rotten. But if we, if we think about, you know, some of the really famous types of fermented foods, um, and, and, and I think cheese is the one that really illustrates this the most clearly. So, you know, for instance, you know, I have developed a taste for really, really ripe cheeses that tend to have, you know, very uh, uh, stinky uh, appearance. You know, you, you can smell them from far away. And so, you know, once in a while I will splurge and, you know, buy a chunk of a really ripe, stinky cheese and invite some friends over to share it. And what I have learned is that not everyone shares my passion for those kinds of flavors or aromas. So inevitably I'll invite someone over to share it and they will walk into the house and smell it and their reaction will be, what died in here? And they would never for a moment think about putting it into their mouth. And so, you know, the world is full of these, you know, fermented foods that might be one culinary tradition's highest expression. Um, and then for people who, you know, are not uh, familiar with the food, um, uh, you know, it, it, just, it, it just seems, you know, utterly, um, uh, uh, utterly rotten. 
Um, so, so there is no, you know, objective, clear dividing line between, you know, food that is fermented to perfection and, uh, and, and food that is rotten. I mean, it's, it's highly subjective uh, and largely culturally determined. We're talking today with Sandra Katz, the author of The Art of Fermentation, an in-depth exploration of essential concepts and processes from around the world. If you'd like to join the conversation on Health Watch, the number is 503-231-8187. You talk a lot in the book about the word culture and its many meanings. Can you, can you link the idea of culturing foods to the other meanings of the word culture for our listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we use this same word culture, uh, you know, once in this, um, you know, sort of huge global sense where it describes, you know, language, music, literature, scientific understanding. Uh, belief systems, uh, practices, um, and, and really the totality of all of the things that human beings seek to pass down from generation to generation. You know, and we use the word to describe, you know, communities of microorganisms. You know, when we culture yogurt, uh, that involves, you know, taking a scoop of mature yogurt and introducing it into fresh milk that we want to turn into yogurt. Um, and, uh, and I just think it's fascinating that we, that we that we use the same word. And, you know, certainly as a group, fermented foods are, uh, you know, they are more than incidental cultural novelties, uh, culinary novelties. I mean, they are found in culinary traditions all around the world. And, you know, in some sense, they are really, um, um, you know, at, at, at the core of our human cultures. You know, when you hear people's migration stories, you know, people who were able to bring their most precious possessions with them on their mo- migration journeys frequently brought their food cultures with them. They brought their sourdoughs. They brought their milk cultures. Um, and, and so, you know, the, these, these cultures are really intrinsic to culture. And, you know, we, when, we, when we look at the, at, at the word culture and the origin of this word, it, it, it stems from the, the Latin word for cultivation. And so it has something to do with cultivating the soil. And if we think about the, the origins of, of, of agriculture, I mean, basically agriculture would not be possible without fermentation how could how could people ever invest all of their energy into crops that are ready at a certain moment of the year um, unless they had developed some insights into how to effectively preserve the harvest to sustain them through the rest of the year let's take our first caller Joanne you're on the air with Sandra Katz uh, yes, Mr. Katz, um, I was wondering if winemaking and beer making uh, is a fermentation process. But um, outside of that, I was listening to a program on nuclear radiation, and I wonder, but I don't think anybody can answer this question, if nuclear radiation kills bacteria and viruses. Anyway, I'll listen uh, off the air. Thanks, Joanne. So, I mean, wine and beer and mead and other forms of uh, uh, alcoholic beverages are, you know, they are definitely for, for products of fermentation. Um, you know, they are, they are understood to be uh, the most widespread forms of fermentation and, as well as the most ancient forms of, of, of fermentation, um, you know, uh, practiced, uh, practiced in, in most parts of the world. Um, 
you know, there, there is, there's a huge amount of, you know, let's say speculative literature trying to imagine, you know, the, the human discovery of, uh, of alcohol. And, you know, I, I would suggest that humans never discovered alcohol, that we, that we knew we were familiar with, with alcohol, you know, before we became human, you know, as, 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 as primates, um, um, uh, you know, feeding ourselves, you know, fermenting berries were among the foods that we ate. Uh, you know, it's well documented that primates and many other types of animals are, are, are drawn to the smell and flavor of fermented berries. And there's also good documentation of lots of different types of animals uh, becoming inebriated when they eat lots of fermenting berries. So, you know, I would argue that, you know, in the course of our evolution, we were already familiar with this product of fermentation, alcohol, but that the uniquely human achievement is, uh, you know, that we figured out how to make this natural phenomenon happen on our own terms, how to extract liquids, how to create vessels to contain those liquids. Um, um, and, and, and we have continually refined the, those, those processes. I mean, as for radiation, um, I don't know too much about it, but I know that, um, you know, controlled irradiation is frequently used to sterilize foods. Um, so, I mean, absolutely, uh, you know, radiation has, has implications for bacteria and, and other microorganisms that, uh, you know, w- w- would be used for fermenting foods. Uh, Sandra, one of the, one, you mentioned the fact that we didn't discover alcohol but evolved with a fermenting fruit as primates. But one of them, I think my favorite part of the book was, was this whole section you had about bacteria and how we co-evolved with bacterial fermentation. And that bacteria really aren't lower life forms, but they're highly sophisticated and really poorly understood. I think you even had a scientist say that we know more about the stars than we do about the interface between fungi and the roots of plants, for instance. And I'd be curious if you could talk a little bit about bacteria and and maybe one or two of the things that most fascinate you about the bacteria. That, That section was just full of really interesting information. Well, I, I mean, the, the the state of our knowledge at present, you know, about you know specifically the bacteria in our bodies, and you know how, um, you know how how the bacteria in our bodies, you know, help us to function. Our understanding of this is extremely crude, but it is becoming more and more clear that bacteria are are essential to many aspects of our functioning. Um, you know, so for instance, you know, the scientists that count the cells of our bodies have come to the conclusion more than a decade ago that, you know, the number of cells that we each possess that reflect our, our you know, own unique individual DNA, the cells that constitute what we would call our body, are actually outnumbered in our bodies 10 to 1 by bacteria that we are host to, or, you know, perhaps, perhaps they are host to us. I mean, it's, it's hard to say which, which way it goes. Um, and, you know, really every year there have been exciting new revelations about, you know, ways in which bacteria, you know, mediate different physiological uh, processes. It's becoming clear that a lot of our, you know, sort of neurological function, brain chemistry, uh, mental health, uh, you know, is ultimately regulated by bacteria in our guts. Uh, It's becoming clear that, um, you know, our immune responses in different parts of the body are regulated by bacteria uh, in our guts. Uh, of course, you know, bacteria play an essential role in our ability to di- digest food and assimilate nutrients. 
so um, you know, so this this uh, you know idea that we have all been you know indoctrinated into that bacteria are our enemies is is extremely misguided because you know we could not exist or function um, you know in our bodies without you know help in many different ways from you know bacteria that that are part of us. Um, you know, the problem is that in our contemporary lives, we have so much, uh, you know, chemical exposure to compounds that specifically are used in order to kill bacteria, that we are subjecting the bacteria that, that we need in order to function effectively to more or less constant assault. Um, and so, you know, I think we, we need to be, you know, thinking much more consciously about ways to, uh, you know, replenish and diversify the bacterial populations. Um, in our bodies, and you know, certainly one way we can do that, um, you know, the most traditional way, the most straightforward way of doing that is by incorporating, um, you know, foods which are, you know, bacterially rich. Well, and you and you mentioned that we couldn't survive without the bacteria, and and in the book, you you mentioned the discovery that we actually need bacterial fermentation to happen for us to reproduce. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, absolutely. I mean. Um, uh, I mean, women's bodies produce a glycogen, a, a carbohydrate, um, specifically to feed a population of lactic acid bacteria, um, you know, to create an acidic condition which facilitates our effective reproduction. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today with Sandra Katz, the author of The Art of Fermentation. Let's take another call. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Sandra Katz. Uh, hi. Hello. Um, two uh, questions, I guess, or, or um, a question and, and two statements. I uh, came across a book uh, in the library a while back, um, Keeping Food Fresh, Old World Techniques and Recipes um, from the Gardeners of um, Terra uh, Vivanti in France. And they had a recipe in there about preserving plums in whey. And um, I attempted to find out more information about it and um, have tried it, and fundamentally it does work. Um, keeping time isn't all that good. I wonder if Sandra had any opinion on that. But um, in trying to find out information about it at um, one of the local universities' food science department, um, the professors were more concerned about research with irradiation of food than they were about preserving it with um, you know, fermentation processes. Um, the other statement I'd like to make is during the normal birthing process, and I got this out of a book called Good Germs, Bad Germs, uh, it talks about um, the normal delivery position of a child. Um, uh, the face passes, uh, passes uh, close to the um, mother's anus, and um, basically the face is um, smeared with um, fecal matter, uh, before the child takes its first breath, meaning that um, they're probably um, inoculating the child with um, organisms from the mother's gut um, before it breathes. But uh, the information on, on presenta uh, pres preservation of foods in whey would be interesting. Okay, thank you for the call. 
Uh, Sander, did you have a comment on the plum preservation? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, let, let, let me just say that, you know, beyond the, the, the specific form of exposure that the caller mentioned, um, you know, in the, 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 the Human Microbiome Project, which just uh, released its, uh, its, its first reports uh, uh, just about a month ago, um, you know, one of their findings is that in the period um, uh, of pregnancy and before childbirth, the, uh, the microflora, um, you know, of, of, of women's vaginas, you know, changes radically because, it, you know, that, that itself is a, you know, mechanism of transfer of, um, of, of bacteria from the mother to the child. Um, but to get back to the plums, um, I am familiar with that food, with, with, with that book by, by Terre Vivant. It, it's, it's really like a wonderful book with, with lots of uh, great preservation ideas. I have not specifically fermented plums in whey, but um, uh, I have corresponded for some time with an Icelandic food writer. Um, and, and in Iceland, they use whey as, as a means of preserving, you know, not only fruits and vegetables, but, but really primarily um, um, organ meats. Uh, blood sausages and um, uh, you know whey, which is um, uh, the byproduct of making cheese or yogurt. It's a uh, um, uh a, a proteinaceous uh, uh, liquid um, with live cultures, unless the cheese making process uses a lot of heat, um, is is a wonderful acidic uh, 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 um, medium rich in lactic acid bacteria that can effectively preserve many different types of uh, of, of foods. And just because of the medium, it ensures safety. Um, you know, be, be, because it's an acidic medium, and none of the food poisoning organisms uh, uh, that we fear can um, can continue to exist in an acidic environment. Um, and it has such a strong indigenous population of of bacteria that would you know pretty much overwhelm any kind of you know introduced bacteria. So so whey is um, you know a wonderful. Um, um, uh, medium for uh, for many different types of, of preservation. So, Sander, if we have listeners today who are intrigued, they've never done fermenting before, but they want to cultivate some fermented foods for their own health or for just the joy of eating them, where do you generally start? Is is there a um, a recipe or a handful of recipes that you gravitate towards for an introduction? Um, sure. I, well, I mean, certainly, I would recommend that that, that people, you know focus on making foods that, that they like to eat, that they're interested in. But for me, and I think for, for many people, um, the, the, the best gateway into fermentation is to make uh, you know, sauerkraut, um, fermented vegetables. I mean, basically, it is you know, intrinsically safe with no risk. You don't need any special equipment. You can use as a vessel you know, a jar that you probably already have in your pantry. Um, it's, it's relatively quick. You don't have to wait months and months to enjoy your results. You don't need to obtain any special starter cultures. Um, and it's incredibly delicious and, um, and beneficial to our health. One of the things that we've, we failed to mention in going through some of the benefits of fermented foods is it's also a, a pushback against the homogenization of flavors. If you're really into food, your sauerkraut's not going to taste the same as someone else's sauerkraut, which is, I'm sure, fun for people when they're when they're trading uh, fermented foods with each other as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's there 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 there's a huge amount of um um you know uh, uniqueness to 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 really every batch of 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 ferments. And um, and fermentation creates strong flavors. If you walk into a gourmet food store and look around and start thinking about the nature of the foods that we uh, you know have elevated onto this pedestal and categorized as gourmet foods, almost all of them are products of fermentation. Fermentation creates strong flavors. They're not always you know they're not all flavors that everybody loves. Um, you know some of them are, are are flavors that we would describe as acquired tastes. Um, you know, some of them are very edgy flavors, um, but the but the flavors are, are are strong and really, you know, depending on what kinds of ingredients you use, depending on what the environment is like, depending on how long you decide to leave it fermenting, uh, you know, you'll really have very very different flavors emerging. Uh, let's try to squeeze in another call. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Sandra Katz. Hi. Um I just wanted to call and let people know about an opportunity to take a class if they wanted to get started on fermenting pickles, kimchi, sauerkraut, and that kind of thing. Great. If you could just do so briefly, we're, we're running out of time. That would be okay, great. Okay. It's through um, the Oregon State Extension, Clackamas County. They can call the phone number 503-655-8631 to get a registration form. The class is on Saturday, September 22nd. Great. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. Um, one of the things, uh, Sandra, that you also mentioned, which I, I think um, is a really interesting topic, is uh, how this could be a uh, part of a battle or in the energy crisis situation on, on Earth with um, refrigeration being something that actually takes up quite a bit of, of, of energy to, to manage. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the context in which all of these, um, uh, especially the, the preservation-oriented ferments emerged is prior to refrigeration. I mean, refrigeration is, is you know, a very, very recent phenomenon. Uh, you know, I, 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 I just, in the book, I, I refer to refrigeration as a historical bubble that we are living in. And, you know, really, even in, you know, 2012, most people on this earth do not have a refrigerator in their home and um, you know given uh, you know ideas about about peak energy and the uh, likelihood of uh, you know increasingly uh, expensive energy uh, it's not at all clear that we will always be able to afford even in uh, you know an affluent part of the world for everyone to have their own fermentation slowing device in their kitchen which is really what a refrigerator amounts to um, so I mean that's part of why I think it's so you know, critically important that we, uh, you know, not lose this legacy that we have, uh, you know, received from our ancestors of all of this wisdom of how to effectively preserve food without the benefit of, of refrigeration. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I think that, you know, so many people can remember a practice that, that, that their grandparents had of preserving some Food through fermentation, and yet within just a couple of generations, uh, you know, mo- in most families, these uh, these traditions have have been lost. Um, but the but the information is still with us. And you know what I'm trying to do in my books is uh, you know is collect it and and share it with people. And uh, you know I'd really urge people to you know get over whatever fear they might have and. Um, you know, and just just try their hand at, at fermenting some sauerkraut, making some yogurt, uh, making some cheese, um, and uh, you know, making sure that these practices remain a uh, you know a living part of our culture. 
Well, let's try to just squeeze in one last call if we can. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Sandra Katz. Hey, I have a, a question. Of in uh, I just picked up my 25 pounds of pickles, and I'm going to brine them shortly. But I was wondering about uh, uh, apple cider vinegar, a raw, unfiltered. And I know that you're not a proponent of vinegar, but I was wondering if there was some defense of apple cider vinegar, and not for pickling the pickles, but just as it's a fermented product in itself. Thank you for the call. Oh, I have no, I have no bone to pick with uh, with apple cider vinegar or any other uh, vinegar. I mean, I, I, I think vinegar is, uh, I think vinegar is is great. Um, I mean, I just think that when we when we pickle vegetables with vinegar, typically the way it's done is the vinegar is heated and the hot vinegar is poured over the vegetables, and that essentially is a sterilization process. Um, so there's no living bacteria in in pickles that are made that way, um, you know, and the application of heat diminishes the vitamin. And see, um, you know, I think that brined pickles, which are the more traditional uh, type of pickles, um, uh, you know, be- because they contain lots of lactic acid bacteria, and because they, you know, never introduce heat, uh, and so they preserve uh, vitamin C very well, um, are, are are nutritionally superior to to vinegar style pickles. But you know, there there's lots of room for more than one type of pickle in this world. Well, that's a good thing. So, so Sander, um, do you have a website you can point our listeners to before before we're done today? Yeah, sure. My website is wildfermentation.com. I have links to all sorts of uh, fermentation-related resources that exist um, on the web. Uh, and I also post uh, uh, my schedule of fermentation workshops as well as fermentation workshops that I hear about that, that other people are, are teaching. Um, I am uh, scheduled to be in Portland on November 14th, which I am told is National Pickle Day. Um, and I will, be, uh, I will be speaking at Powell's. Um, books uh, uh, that evening on November 14th. I don't know the exact time right now, but um, but uh, details will be on my website, wildfermentation.com. Well, it's great having you back on Health Watch today, Sander. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We are talking today with Sander Katz, the author of The Art of Fermentation, an in-depth exploration of essential concepts and processes from around the world. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for Madness Radio. <laughs> 